you ever wondered how your dyslexia may impact on those around you? Well, today I had the wonderful opportunity to speak with counsellor Tini Brumby, who lives in Bruni, Tasmania. Tini has dedicated her life to working and supporting her community. She's an effervescent, outgoing wife and mother of four children. Twice elected in Tasmanian local government, she has been serving there for seven years so far. Tini and I had a great conversation about how we manage day-to-day life with our dyslexia. The ups and downs of families when more than just one of you has dyslexia. Tini and I discussed managing life with dyslexia for ourselves, but also when our other family members have it, the joys and madness that this can bring to our lives. I really hope you enjoy this uplifting conversation. So thank you, Tini, for coming on the show today. I'm really excited to be talking to you, especially after seeing your amazing presentation at our recent conference. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Shay. I'm super pumped to be here this morning. So the conference was a real eye-opener for me in the different stories that people shared throughout the day, but also the similarities around the different challenges that they face throughout life and um, how resilient and persistent all of our speakers were. Are you able to talk to us um, a little bit about what life was like growing up for you? Yeah, Absolutely. I guess for me growing up, I'm now 43 years of age, so that was probably a long time ago. But when I went through school, I I absolutely observed within my classroom that other students seemed to get and understand the content that was being delivered by the teacher. And I was acutely aware, I guess, I, I believe I had a, a reasonably high IQ or EQ as well, which is your emotional intelligence. So I, I could see that other people were getting things. But for me, the dots didn't really connect. I, I just didn't really understand a lot of what was taught. So I guess my my strategies as a child trying to survive in that schooling environment was I would switch off and, and lean into my EQ skills, which were the ability to converse with other adults. And I would regularly sneak out of my classes, particularly for grade six and on. I connected to the heart of the teachers very regularly and they sort of knew I I struggled with the academia and I'd sneak out of the class quite often and I'd go talk to the canteen ladies or the maintenance man or, you know, I'd develop relationships with other teachers in the school that might be on a free. And, you know, that was probably back in the day where there was a little bit more autonomy to move in within the school and, and they weren't as strict. So I did a lot of escapism, if I'm honest, from the learning of school. And it was a lot of other connections with adults in school life, whether it was the school office ladies. I'd do a lot of connection at that level and develop relationships. So I, I've consequently got a lot of gaps in my general knowledge in general, because I just didn't pay a lot of attention through my schooling years. Um, Distraction and and connecting with people was the way I sort of survived school. And I did a lot of memorising. So I'd memorise a lot of the content of school in order to pass tests. But um, if I'm honest, I didn't understand any of the content. So I remember distinctly at 33 years of age, 
recollecting this phrase that I'd learnt in, in grade seven, we had this very stern teacher, Mr Wilson, and you had to pass, everybody in the class had to recite this particular paragraph. And it was around this word scale, what, what actually is scale? It was this long-winded, convoluted sentence, and this is what it is. Scale is a way of reducing the size of the real thing while still maintaining direct relationship between the distance on the map and the distance in real life. And it wasn't until I was 33, I was listening to the words and thinking, oh, my gosh, that's actually a description of scale on a map. So, you know, I think it's ironic from year seven to 33 years of age, I'd had this concoction of words, but they meant nothing to me. And, and I think that was a good descriptor of what school was like for me. You know, lots of memories of words in, in junctions. And so when was it that you were identified as having dyslexia? Because we're in a similar age group and um, it wasn't until I was an adult because back then it wasn't really spoken of. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I went through school. I had no idea that I had a learning preference and, and I like the concept of my dyslexia. I, I'm quite proud of being a dyslexic woman and I refer to it as my learning preference not my learning disability and I think there's a really important distinction there that we we dyslexics must make because it is not a disability it is a natural fact our superpower because those of us that are dyslexic must activate strategies to survive in the life that we lead and because we have to enact those strategies we're actually pretty clever we have these ways of getting around things that the normal atypical brain can do straight away. So when I reflect back on, on growing up, I think, yeah, I had no idea I was dyslexic. I just knew that everyone was smarter than me. So I'd adopted that from quite a young age. And I guess because I had a high, what I think was a reasonable IQ, so I was, I, I was smart, I just had a different way of learning, I wanted to go out and prove to people that I wasn't. So I just all through life have pushed and pushed to try and prove to people I'm not dumb. See, I can do this. See, but what that looked like was a young teeny of in grade seven, eight, nine and ten, I would get up at 5.30 and 6 and I would study. Now, when I say study, I'd memorise because, of course, I didn't have comprehension. So I'd work my ass off. I'd, I'd study in my morning tea, I'd study at lunch, because for me back then I wanted to get in the top grade for all of my subjects, but I just wanted to pass. So I had no aspiration for getting, you know, that the highest level grade of an A in the top level, but I wanted to be in the top level of each subject and just merely pass. And I worked very, very hard in order to accomplish that. But truth be told, it was my teachers that helped do a lot of that work. And I'd sort of saddle up alongside of somebody and say, oh, but can you just sort of work me through this? And look, truthfully, my dad, um, he helped me with a great deal of my work. They um, got a tutor to work alongside of me. But really, because I was a bit skillful in manipulation and, and had that sort of EQ rocking on the side, I was able to sort of trick teachers, dad, tutor, into essentially doing the work really for me. And, and I look back now and I think, well, probably I cheated, but actually that was my, that was part of my strategy to pass was to use all the resources around me, use the networks that I had to help me appear to excel um, and, you know, to learn a whole heap of, yeah, you could say, well, she did all right, really, because she did a lot of memorisation, but 
when one doesn't have comprehension of it, you're not really moving forward, are you? You're sort of tricking people to get to the next step. So, yeah, that, that was a bit tricky. But I, I didn't know I was dyslexic until, um, and this was probably a life's defining moment. I've, I've got four children, as you may have announced in the introduction. So my children are now 18, 16, 14, 12. When my second born was in grade four, he was 10 years old, he was coming home and he said, Mum, I want to kill myself. I, I just hate myself. I hate my life. I, I hate and Mum, I was thinking, what the hell is going on here? Who has touched my boy? Who got to my boy without my knowledge? And I was just so worried because he came from a really loving family. We're a reasonably normal family unit, loving mum and dad, happy family. It just didn't make sense. He had everything and yet he wanted to kill himself at 10. We made an appointment with a psychologist thinking we need to get a bit more help here. I couldn't get to the bottom of why he wanted to do that. And the psychologist said, we want to do educational testing. Now, I was pretty angry at that. I was thinking, just ask him. Who got to him? You know, it was just really frustrating. But she did do that education. Which one of you is dyslexic? And that was the defining moment of my life. It was the freedom of that moment where suddenly it explained why my brain works the way it does. I'm dyslexic. So it was fantastic for me because... I hear parents who go, I don't want to get my kid tested. I don't want them labelled. What a load of BS for me. That, that is ridiculous because for me, understanding what the learning preference is, is the equipper. That becomes the tool for absolutely building in elements of success into, well, how do we scaffold this now? We know that there's a learning preference. What, what do we do differently to help the child with dyslexia? I am not dumb. My brain works differently. So that was a very powerful moment, uh, certainly in my life. But the, the psychologist drew a picture of the atypical brain and described to me that the one side of the brain for atypical people, when they're learning, they go straight to the destination of understanding in their brain. But for those of us with a learning preference, particularly dyslexics, we learn from the opposite side of our brain, the picture side of our brain, not the literacy side. And so that means that when we go on a trip down the highway, instead of going from point A to B in a straight direction down the highway to that point of understanding, we dyslexics must travel inland and go right round the long route everyone else has gone straight to and it's taken them, for example, half an hour to get there, straight in their brain. We dyslexics must travel for probably an hour in our brain to get to the point of understanding. So that concept that, wow, I learned from the opposite side, that actually makes me quite clever because I'm, I'm having to navigate different parts of my brain to get to the point of understanding. Bloody hell, I'm clever. That also means that I'm tired. I'm a lot more exhausted than most people. It means that I need to drink water. It's critical for dyslexics. If you are out there listening to this and you are a dyslexic person, drink water throughout the day. It's absolutely pivotal because when you drink your glasses of water throughout the day you are fluiding your brain you are helping your brain function to the highest potential that it can thank you for listening to this podcast the d hub is our digital learning space where you can access our first australian e-learning courses for those working and supporting dyslexic employees as well as webisodes online courses communities of practice and much much more so head to the D Hub today and start your learning journey. 
dhub.dyslexic.com. There are times when I won't drink much at all and I think, oh, my gosh, and, of course, then you get a headache. But um, I have to see whether I can match that with my fatigue to see if I drink more because you're right, we do get fatigued so much um, easier and it's really hard to explain because people don't really seem to understand that. When you say, oh, I'm really tired, they say, well, so am I. And it's, I find it really hard to differentiate the difference between normal exhaustion from day-to-day life but then coupled with dyslexia, that exhaustion on top of that. So, well, I can, If I can interject, mm. if you think of a brain that's been on fire, that a dyslexic brain, that the whole brain is ignited. So you have to imagine that the head is all on in red zone. It's all fully ignited. But the atypical brain, only a portion of their brain is lighted up red. When I remember and, and um, talk to myself around, okay, Tony, your whole brain's been ignited today. You're going to be a bit more tired. That's okay. It sort of gives us permission to go, yep, I need a rest. I, I need to lay down for 20 minutes. So I, I carve out those brain breaks. When I'm on a uni day, I'm studying my Master's of Business at the moment. I get to 2 o'clock and my brain is really tired and I'll actually set a timer for 25 minutes and I'll go to a deep, almost like a deep rest where I'm not really awake but I'm not really asleep either. Um, but that will just reignite my brain and then I get back up and I study again. So, yeah, I think making sure we carve out brain breaks for a dyslexic brain to help calm the red, you know, when you think of your brain, it's nearly on fire as in your learning, you must give it breaks in conjunction. But look, before I'm we going go to to take do- that quote, brain breaks, because I'm I'm known as a renowned napper, not so much now my daughter's, now I've got a seven-month-old, um, eight-month-old, but prior to her, I could have, I could nap every day for at least half an hour. And everyone used to say, we can't believe how you can just fall asleep like that. But I love that. I'm going to say it's a brain break. Well, it's, it's and it's just so important, you know, for a dyslexic mm. mind to function well, we've actually got to carve out those breaks. And admittedly, for my first four years of, uh, first, sorry, 10 years of parenthood, I slept every single afternoon for eight to 10 years while raising little people because I actually needed the break back then for the fatigue of raising little people. But um, even now as an adult, I'll cut out that half an hour. It's, it's super important if I'm on a learning day. There is this thing called Erlen syndrome. Now, scientifically, um, as the Australian government has, they consider that Erlen syndrome is, is not legitimate and that they don't think there's enough scientific evidence to confirm that that is such a thing. But as a dyslexic woman who has been tested um, for glasses, so Erlen syndrome is sort of an extension of dyslexia, but it, it means that we can choose a different colour glasses to wear. And for me, light blue is amazing. What happened for me when I wore a, a pair of light blue glasses is it relaxes my brain. Now, most dyslexics, when they're reading, if you imagine you've got a book with font on it, when a dyslexic reads a book, they are generally forming the words for, through the white. So the imagery left on the page is what the white. So we're actually reading the white. The atypical brain is reading the font. They see the black. But we dyslexics are reading through the white, if that makes sense. So our brain's a lot more tighter when it comes to reading. But for me, when I discovered these glasses, as I did eight years ago, I put these blue lenses on and I can immediately, it blocks out the white in a book and I can see the font. The font actually comes up and meets my eyes. 
So my brain, I I can feel it go, ah, it feels amazing because my brain's not working really, really hard to do the reading. I would argue many dyslexics actually have this condition called Erlen syndrome. And, you know, many a time I've lent my glasses to someone who's dyslexic and say, put these on and see if it makes a difference. You can tell immediately if a different colour will work. You know, some people are red, some are orange, some are green, some are blue. Many are blue. Um, that is the best shade. So my boys have dark blue glasses. My daughter has orange and I have light blue. And look, without these glasses, I can absolutely assure you I would never have been able to consider university because the amount of documents and work that I have to do. And look, I'm in local government as well. I have to read these really big uh, agendas every week. Without the glasses, I never could have pursued um, the, the opportunity to upskill and increase my learning. But um, yeah, I think there's sort of a missed loop there and it disappoints me that the Australian government won't recognise that Erlen syndrome is actual, re actually real. Um, I guess there's not yet enough scientific proof, but you can talk to those of us dyslexics who have worn these glasses and uh, we will tell you that Erlen syndrome is legitimate and that there's, they are totally invaluable. It, it, it is game-changing for children. It's interesting you raise that um, because it is a very controversial topic and um, we have had feedback before around uh, Erwin syndrome is not part of dyslexia. Um, visual disturbances can be um, a symptom of, but, and we've had some, pe some people complain about us talking about such a topic because there's not a lot of research behind it at the moment. And what I've um, always gone back to is that for adults, it's around um, our lived experience and what has helped us as an individual. So even though there may not be a lot of research around Irwin syndrome and it's not backed at the moment, and from an organisational perspective, we wouldn't uh, back it because it's not evidence-based, but what we do do is support people's experiences. And if that's worked for you and your family, then that's fantastic because it's enabled you to go on to do things that you wouldn't have otherwise been able to do. And it's like um, other reasonable adjustments that work for different adults, like the overlays and other forms of technology and tools that we use to help get us through. So I'm glad you've raised that because it's always such a hot topic and a debated one, even um, you know, your opening statement around learning differences and you, you know the terms disability. And for my PhD, I'm writing a paper at the moment around language and terms. And so I think it's great that you're having this conversation with me today to uh, encourage people to have the discussion and to feel safe to be able to talk about the different things that have helped them, even if it's not always backed by evidence. You know, before we wrap up on the concept of glasses and how they can be of assistance with dyslexic, I need to share a story with, with this 10-year-old that got diagnosed. When he, my son Aidan, when he got to grade seven, he had a dream of getting one A in his school. Now, he wore blue lenses at the time. He's a darker blue lens. And, you know, it was a real dream to get one A and he worked very hard. And by the end of that year, I can't recall exactly, but I don't think he quite managed an A. But grade eight, he managed three A's. And at the conclusion of that year, I mean, that was quite extraordinary because what we in our generation understand to be an A, a B, a C and a D, really, that's all changed. And a C is what is now expected as the norm. 
and you know a B is extremely good and an A is well above standard. So there's there's not the same parallels to an A, B, C and D grading today as what in grade nine, this dyslexic son of mine coupled with what he told himself. Now this is really key for anybody who's dyslexic. What you tell yourself defines who you become. Words are very powerful. The tapes that we play in our mind are absolutely key to the success that we may or may not enjoy in life. So I I guess as his mum, am a big advocate for speaking life over his world and the things that I would tell him to instill that sense of you can do anything if you put your mind to it, son. You are a leader. You will succeed in this life. So, you know, he's got that, he has to fight the demon of I'm dumb, I don't get it, I don't understand. You know, he will sit in a class and the teacher's going, right, you need to do A, B, C and D. Well, so it's really frustrating for a dyslexic child to navigate school. But in those seas of, oh, my gosh, I'm drowning, I don't understand a thing in this class, and you, you just feel so dumb in those moments. It's a horrendous feeling. So to come home to mum speaking life over his world and to send him off each day with a, hey, you can do this, you can do this, that's really key. But... He, he also began a, a mantra of, I can do this. I'm going to succeed. I'm going to get an A at the end of this year. Grade nine, that dyslexic son of mine got ducks. He did the unbelievable. And we chose to go get that label. Now, the label that some people would think, why would you get this kid a label? That was our superpower to understand what we were working with was, I guess, God's gift to our family because it changed everything. I've actually got not only one dyslexic child, but my next son was also diagnosed dyslexic. And the next, the next daughter, she was diagnosed dyslexic and dysgraphic. Now, don't ask me what dysgraphic is. I don't really know. That's, that's, I've got both. That's me. <laughs> okay, so whatever that is, you know, it's the, the learning preferences is even more difficult um, for our youngest. But this kid comes out with ducks, which um, I don't know if that's a familiar topic for those on the mainland, but that's sort of the, the highest you can get for that grade. And then year ten rolls around, and he decides, "Yep, I'm going to I'm going to work hard again." And look, I, I truly believe, um, as a, a dyslexic mum, but a passionate ambassador for those that would experience this beautiful learning uh, ability, that we can do anything we have got these resources in our minds because of the way we think we are fantastic problem solvers because everybody else can go straight to their method but we've just got to be really creative in how we go about our learning or we can think really differently so creatively yeah I I really in our family we celebrate our learning preference yeah I, I think it's something that really makes us creative you know it's such a a positive conversation we're having right now and I think you know one of the comments that sticks in my mind is how as a family unit you've worked um, to see it as a positive learning difference and I think when there's so if you've got three children or four sorry I can't remember I've got four children four so one's not dyslexic so your husband and one other child is not dyslexic and the rest of you are so that makes for a really interesting um, family dynamic around I know in our family um 
the challenges but the strengths we bring and the conversations we end up having around who's neurodiverse and who isn't. I don't know if you have those conversations uh, in your family, but we have them as a, as a joke but as a support as well. And my family unit is very strong and I've been very lucky to get to where I am because of my family and I talk about that a lot. And it sounds like that's the same type of family that you have. And I wonder because, you know, in my paper we talk about is it a disability or is it a superpower? And I wonder if, you know, that family unit is what can make you see it as a superpower, as a strength. Right. And if you don't have that, whether you end up not seeing it as a superpower or how, how it plays out, whether the family is the core to how you feel. Does that make sense? Dyslexic children from families that care, that want to see and make a better future, they have got the best opportunity. There is no doubt about it. You know, the parents play a critical role in firstly establishing whether or not there is a learning preference sitting there and then how they choose to respond to it. You know, when I look at the school system um, and the teachers that have now got, you know, 27, 30 kids in a class, we've never seen classes so full of children that have got multiple learning issues. So they're, you know, a, a class of 30 children might have 15 children with various learning preferences, whether it's autism, ADHD, uh, dyslexia, dysgraphia, dyscalculia. There are all these different um, learning preferences now. And it's incredibly difficult for teachers to take responsibility for the individual learning plans of 30 children. The government at state and federal levels look at the class sizes and what's What's really an appropriate number for teachers to be able to assist? Because teachers are obviously integral to the success of many of these children and increasingly across each of our states in Australia, the education departments are, are stripped of their financial resources and they're, they're sort of, I think, often living on the smell of an oily rag. You know, the, the TAs, the teachers' assistants, are getting stripped from the system. In back in my day going through school, you know, I'm 43, I do not remember this many learning difficulties in my class. Of course, there would always be around five or six kids within each class that, that you know, be really challenged. You could see it was very clear. I mean, I was I was one of those kids, but hit it very well. It's, it's incredibly challenging for those teachers. You know, I, I really feel for them. I, I think we're letting down this generation. Uh, by not working alongside of, you know, the increasing learning preferences. And, you know, we can we can talk about why there are so many more. People say themselves out of me, oh, yeah, it's just because we're diagnosed now. But it was always like this. I don't think it was always like this. I look back on my childhood, I, I don't agree. I do not think there were as many learning difficulties as what I'm seeing in the behavioural outcomes of children nowadays. I, well, I speak in a lot of schools here in Tasmania. Is that what led you into um, your career path and working as a counsellor now for Bruni? You know, I'd been a mum for 12 years and just a full-time mum and a lady said to me, oh, Teeny, I'm going to be a counsellor next year. And I thought, well, how dare you say that you're going to be this, you know? You, you, you've really got to love my city. You can't just say you're going to do something. And I had that sort of penny drop moment where I thought, but it needs it needs people like me. And as soon as I heard that within my own head, I knew for me that was a God moment where there was something more for me to consider. And I'd only probably just found out I was dyslexic and so, of course, was 
um, you know, looking at, okay, I, I work a bit differently. I need to figure out how I do things. And I began to chair meetings differently because I was dyslexic and, and um, yeah, I learned a few different clever things that, that helped me change the way I conducted my life and it was really invaluable trying to figure out, do I do a uni degree first before I run for local government? And someone at the uni said, Tony, you've got what it takes. Just run for local government. You don't need a uni degree. Just go. You'll make a great difference. So, look, three days later I made I made the bold decision, yep, I'm going to do this. Even if 20 people vote for me, I'm going to do it because I really felt called. And, you know, three days after that, a lady walked up to me. She said, Tony, I'm going to – I've got a 1000 bucks. I'm going to give you. I don't know what it's for. God's told me to give you a 1000 bucks." She said, meet me here tomorrow. And so I met her the next day and she put a thousand bucks into my hand. For me, I needed five thousand to run a campaign. That was my defining moment of, okay, yeah, I've got to do this. So it has been one of the greatest privileges of my life because I get to be a voice for so many different people and situations. You know, Friday, uh, in this in this last few months, because I think of my role in government, I've had all these calls, you know, Tani, can you help me get a rental property? I'm, I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. In Tasmania, we've, we've had a property boom and a ma- you mainlanders coming over, buying up their houses, your mutts. I'm just somehow buying properties for families and getting them into the property market. It's been one of the greatest joys of my life. And it, it wouldn't have happened without the platform of local government and advocating for people. And to be able to step in the gap for others and orchestrate things, you know, I look back on my life. In fact, just today I found out that a little family with six kids that lived with them were about to be displaced. I bought them a house 11 weeks ago. We've been fighting for finance the whole way and we just found out today that that's been approved. They will move in to their house Christmas Eve and will have a roof over their head. It's just such a joy, the, the doors that open up. In, in this role, I mean, it's not local government that's opened that door. I, I, I get, I love these creative opportunities to help people. So I do get random calls all the time um, to do fun, what I view as fun stuff in the community. But I, I don't know that I would necessarily have these chances in life if I didn't partner with my dyslexia and if I didn't embrace it to the way that I do. So Often if I'm in the middle of chairing a meeting or I'm in a local government meeting or I I sit on a couple of boards, so let's just say, for example, I've suddenly uh, lost all train of thought. There's been too many. So I'll I'll sort of bring in conversation to define step one and step two. Is that right? Is that what I'm hearing? So I'll use these strategies to sort of pull conversation in to confirm what I think I might have heard. And it's just been so helpful as I uh, move within society and community life, um, the way I can control my environment now because I know how my brain works. If I'm chairing a meeting, I mean, there were so many times in my early years as a, as a young woman, I would be in the middle of chairing meetings and everybody's putting in Bob's worth. And then, of course, I'm lost because we dyslexics can't take, you know, point A, point B, point C, point D. Uh, we're sort of lost in all that. But now I go, all right, guys, so let's just come back. What do we think is point one? And then we write it down. What do we think is point two? So I I love that I'm now able to facilitate my own environment in a way that works for my brain. They don't even know. Those that I'm serving with wouldn't perhaps know that I'm dyslexic, but the way that I'm able to structure a meeting or one that I'm tearing or one that I'm contributing to um, is, is actually helping me grasp what it is I'm contributing to, if that makes sense. 
sounds like it would be quite efficient too because you're kind of doing a summary and getting people back on track if they're you know Absolutely. going off track or you know there's too many things happening that you're able to bring everyone back together again because I was going to ask you what one of your strategies was so thank you for sharing that are there challenges that you find day-to-day in the workplace where your learning difference creates challenge yes Probably one of the worst things I find is if somebody like Shay says you've got to access this particular technology to jump into a podcast, the stress that that causes for me to play in an unknown sphere where I'm going to have to do point A, B and C and possibly D, uh, it's, it's, it's so I find it immediately quite stressful. So I ha- I'll regularly talk myself through. So even today, before we sat down to this, we, we had, you and I had five minutes, 10 minutes maybe, of trying to figure out and navigate this technology. Now, we had to leave one platform. It didn't work for us, and we had to quickly navigate to another. For me, it's, it might sound stupid, but some of those little positive tapes that of the things that I tell myself, I'll gear myself up for success. Now, that's not to say that I don't feel very overwhelmed in that moment and I start to feel, I liken those moments to be like a wave that comes in in the sea and it it sort of envelops us and takes us over. And in that moment, we can feel really dumb in that moment. So for me, one of the strategies to push that wave back off of me is go, hang on, that's not the truth right now. I'm a smart woman and we're about to get this. Don't worry. It's okay. Breathe. So... It might sound simple, it, you know, you think, oh, this is just bollocks. But for me, it works. Um, but, yeah, if I'm given a set of instructions to wire up a VCR, I'm sorry, that's just not going to work. And at the moment, I'm looking into universities and it's really overwhelming for me. So what my strategy is, is I'll sit alongside of my daughter, who's 18 and very good at navigating that side of things. And always in life, I pull people along to help me in life's journey. That is just the best tool and advice I could tell anyone. Never be afraid to ask for help. I think we can be too proud in life in general. And we Aussies, we don't really like to ask for help, but a dyslexic person needs to ask for help. It's 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 humbling, of course, but golly, we can really move forward in leaps and bounds when we partner with those that can help us on life's journey. So for me, my daughter Chelsea, who's 18. She'll be helping me in the coming days to navigate and look at different universities and what is going to be a better university for me to do my next leg of learning with. Um, Yeah, for me, that would be very overwhelming, trying to navigate the Google thing and looking at how you click on and how do you apply and then how do you attach a resume and click it off and then press this button to enrol for your student thing and then get a library card. Look, all of that is, is meltdown stuff. Um, and you know dyslexics will generally have a lot of internal meltdowns because we get very overwhelmed and you know as a young mum I think about those meltdowns I I imploded regularly but what that looked like was a a mum you know I'd have four children mum 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 what I didn't know back then is that I was dyslexic but secondly I'd just explode so you're kind with everyone else you look, everything looks great inside, you're imploding and you are a bomb going off in your home. And I guess that was a real challenge for me to think about how do I manage myself in that meltdown moment 
those internal implosions that we dyslexics will often face when, we, when too many things are coming at our brain at any one time. For me, I then from, you know, this is a few years back now, I then had to start to learn, okay, Tini, you're starting to melt down. Your chest is pounding. You're starting to get hot. Um, you could feel the heat rising up in my chest and up through my face. I'm starting to feel out of control. To recognise that there are some physiological symptoms to what this explosion was about to look like was really important. So I started to read my body. Okay, so, so for example, mum, mum, mum is starting to happen. I'm starting to melt down. All right, what's going on? Guys, guys, everyone just stop for a minute. Everyone stop talking to me. Everyone just go to your rooms or leave me be for a minute. I've just got to collect myself. Now, sometimes that looks like me leaving the room to go and breathe. What that did, as simple as it might sound or as stupid, is it helped me get control of me. And a different mum began to emerge as I learnt to read my body and what those physiological responses were actually doing now. I didn't realise that the mum, 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 you know, the A, B, C, D was starting to overwhelm me. And learning to read that and then going, right, now what do I do to control this? Because the bomb's about to go off, the grenade is about to explode and we don't want shrapnel going into each of the children's hearts. That is not life. That is killing my children. And I don't want to be the bearer of war in my own home. So I began to change my responses. And do you know, about a year after that, my one of my children, he came to me and he said, Mum, thank you for changing. Thank you for being a kind mum now and not being a mum that hurts us. And look, I, I didn't realise that the way I was responding was causing such serious damage to my children now, that wasn't the mum I wanted to be but I didn't realize that my learning preference caused some internal meltdowns that actually had an external result um, so I think it's again it would be another um, pool of advice that I'd love to draw from and say you know you might be a mum out there that experiences some implosions as a result of the way your brain operates but I want to say that we have got the opportunity to control ourselves. And that's really important to read what's going on in your body in that moment. What can you do differently to bring peace into your home? Thank you so much for sharing that. And I mean, it was such an honest account of your family and what was happening for you. And I think, you know, as a new mum, that imploding can reson resonate. <laughs> and I'm just picturing myself at the microwave the other night um, imploding because I really struggle if there's a lot of noise and if the TV is on loud and my daughter's crying and my partner's talking to me, I can really struggle to be able to give the attention needed everywhere and that can start to make me feel really overwhelmed. Um, but I think it's a really good reminder, not just for mums that are dyslexic, but for dads around how our body is telling us and how it can help us think about what's going on and give us a sign to take a step back because some, we so often forget to take that step back and to breathe. And um, it's 
you know, this podcast has been a real interesting conversation of so many different components of your life. And it's, um, I'm really excited to be able to talk to you and share, share these experiences because I think they're really valuable. And we haven't had a lot of parents be so open and honest about some of the struggles that, that you can have. So thank you for sharing that with us. Oh, you're so welcome. Really appreciate this opportunity, Shay. It's it's lovely to dip into that pool of what's gone on in my life and I hope it's of help to some of you. Yeah, I think it really will be because there's not enough of these conversations and it's interesting that you've raised this topic because we're, I'm having a podcast with um, another two ladies that have multiple learning differences, not just dyslexia, uh, and we're going to be talking a whole episode on parenting and um the ups and downs of parenting as a neurodiverse parent. Um, so thank you for sharing some of your family insights. It's, it's really valuable. Is there anything else you'd like to share with um, our listeners today before I have my final question for you? Let's reframe it and um, take out this disability concept and embrace the beautiful uh, learning preference that it is. Let's embrace dyslexia as our superpower because I genuinely believe that it is. We are some of the best problem solvers around, um, but it really, you know, we must couple with what we tell ourselves. That is quite critical for those of us that are dyslexic. So superpower all the way. So can I touch on that as a counsellor? Am I saying it right? Because you're not a, a clinical counsellor, you are a counsellor of a community, <laughs> just Correct. so our listeners let's... know. No, I'm an elected member of local government in Tasmania. Thank you. Just in case some people got lost with the two (laughs) words, meaning one word, meaning two different things. Um, But how do you, how do you think we can move away from that medical model of a disability and be more around learning preferences and learning styles and our strengths? Because I tend to not use the word superpower, but more strengths. How do we move more to that language and narrative when at the moment if we don't have a disability as such, then we won't get support in school? Now, granted, it's small. Uh, In Victoria, actually, they've just released a large sum of money for people, those students that have dyslexia, but generally it's not a huge amount of funding support you would get in primary or secondary school. So how do you think from a policy perspective we can start to influence the narrative because at the moment we can't get anything if we're not, we're not recognised as a disability. If we don't have a disability, we're not recognised under any acts. So we're not protected. So we're discriminated against. We can't fight our employer, as an example. Um, or we can't advocate for our child to get reasonable adjustments in school if they don't have that label. So is there, and this is a really big question and probably we could have a whole different podcast, but just... Is there anything you think that we can help to shift the narrative? That's a huge question, sorry, to throw at you at the very end of our podcast and maybe one you don't want to answer right now. (laughs) Yeah, look, it it is a tricky one and there is no easy solution. But, um, look, I think as a community of dyslexic learners, we have the responsibility ourselves to change the narrative. We can always shift blame onto government and expect that they do this, that and the other. And, look, I'm encouraged to hear that the Victorian government has acknowledged that dyslexic learners do need assistance, and that's beautiful to hear that. that, uh, I think that's one of the only good things I've heard of that, Victoria. (laughs) I think we, as a dyslexic community, we need to be the champions of change. We need to be shifting the narrative 
it is the onus is on us, the dyslexics, to to take it and champion it. You know, I, I'll be an ambassador for my learning preference till the day I die. And I want to inspire anyone else that I come into contact with. You know, I love sharing the journeys and, and the excitement of what my children are doing. You know, yesterday, my dyslexic and dysgraphic daughter in grade six won an academic award. She has never won an award in her damn life. And she came out of that award on such a high. She said, Mum, do you remember when you got your first HD at uni? Oh, Mum, that's this moment. Oh, Mum, I didn't even know I was smart. What a, you know, what a what an amazing um, story for her. Now, she's really at the start of realising, you know, the challenges of what, what her preference is. Um, but so exciting for me as a mum to champion that and then to, to pop that out onto social media to inspire and encourage other mums who are, are journeying alongside of that tricky, that tricky journey of, you know, their child might be suffering with the challenges of whatever it might be, but to cast that aspiration of hope and possibility, um, I, I believe we dyslexics must be champions for our cause and I think we have the own with the responsibility to change the narrative, if I may be so bold. No, please. That's what our conversations are all about, disrupting and being bold. And, and I love that as another quote, because we do need to be the champions of change, like we are the champions of our own destiny. Um, so I think, you know, that's a great, great way to answer such a big convoluted challenging question. So thank you. I really appreciate it, especially as we come to the end of um, our conversation. But my last question I wanted to ask, which is completely off topic, um, is around what gets you up in the morning? What drives your day? Well, look, you, I think you touched on the word destiny just now. For me, um, you know, I have a, a deep-seated faith that, that stirs me as a woman in life. And I believe I'm here to make an impact in this world for the betterment of others. And every day when I get out of bed, I know that I'm going to be able to speak life to those around me and that I'm here to make a difference. I juggle lots of different balls in life. I, I think having a sense of purpose is so important, but, you know, I think the best purpose in life is to make others' lives better. And I, I have a goal. I want to build a centre for teenage mums and uh, I'll activate that goal at some point in my future. But that is a big dream and, and I want to make very sure that I, I do and accomplish that goal in life. But, you know, I've got an interim goal of I want to graduate my Masters of Business and that was a bold dream at the start. I mean, imagine this girl who dropped out of school in grade 11. She couldn't answer one question out of a biology test of 20. And I dropped out of school and got a job and was no, not going to be the nurse I dreamed of being because couldn't even pass a test in biology. I'm a school dropout. Life has still opened up doors of opportunity for me and I, I've taken them whenever I can. But we carve out our future. We carve out our destiny. And I jump out of bed with a sense of purpose to make a difference for others. That is a wonderful way to end such a positive, uplifting podcast. And I really thank you for sharing your last thoughts just then. Um, but all your thoughts today, it's um, your conversation has reminded me 
of why I do what I'm doing. Um, thank you, because sometimes we get so bogged down in the detail and the day-to-day -day grind that we can sometimes lose sight um, as to the purpose of what we're doing. And I think that this podcast will really help people. Thank you again, Teeny. It's just been an absolute joy to talk to you today. Thank you so much, Shay. All the best. If you haven't already done so yet, make sure you sign up to our mailing list so you can keep up to date with everything we do at the Foundation. Head to deardyslexic.com. And don't forget, if there is anything you have heard today that was distressing, please call Beyond Blue on 1300 22 46 36 or Lifeline on 13 11 14. If there is a topic you would like discussed on the show, please email us, admin at deardyslexic.com. Thanks for joining us. Bye for now.